We are in that time of, of the church year where we focus on the, the passion of Jesus. We call the season Lent, but we're focused on passion, and, and that word means suffering. Now, sometimes when we hear the word passion, we think of not suffering, but people's enthusiasm, their dedication, their love for, for doing something. And that certainly plays into this as well. This month, as we're going through the season of Lent, we're going to act like we're crime scene investigators, but not crime so much as we are CSI Christ scene investigators. That is, we want to look in particular at, at the signs, the clues, the evidence of why the cross for Jesus. Sometimes when you um, watch those TV shows, CSI, and they'll talk about a crime that was committed as being a crime of passion. And what they meant was that the person involved with that just was, was so moved by a, a, a passion to become criminal in what they did. The crime of passion could also be applied to what we see with what happened with Jesus and the cross. And so as today we, we go on the road where Jesus and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem, we want to look for that cross, and as we do, we're going to note that what was done was an act of passion. Now, last week, we, we focused on the event in, in Luke chapter 9 that talked about Jesus being transfigured, that is, where his divine glory shone through his human body, and, and the three of the disciples witnessed that. It was a marvelous event that reminded us of who Jesus really is, God, who was then going to give up his life. Now, when he came down from the mountain, Jesus was met with a crowd that was all excited to see him, and Jesus performed one of his miracles there, too. He cast a, a demon out of a boy, and the crowd was just going wild over what Jesus did. But now Jesus and his disciples head off for Jerusalem. And let's see what's going on next. From Luke chapter 9, it continues. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Master, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. 
but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went on to another village. Did you hear a lot of passion in that little account? It seems like there isn't much going on, just these little conversations as they're on the road to Jerusalem, but it's filled with a lot of passion, a lot of emotion, a lot of intensity in their conversation. And that's where we want to begin our investigation for the cross today. We want to look at those words because those words were really speaking for their heart, the passion they had. But their passion was not good. In a sense, we could say there were crimes of passion that were going on in their words. We'll label it sins. Sins of passion that were there in their heart. Let's take a look at what was going on. So Jesus just came down from that mount where he was transfigured in all of his glory. He just healed a boy by casting a demon out of him, and the people were amazed at everything going on with Jesus. And then what do we hear the disciples talking about? Themselves. They start arguing among themselves, hey, which one of us do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Now Jesus had just told them that they were going to Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested, he would suffer and die and rise. And what do these guys talk about? Themselves. Isn't that just typical of human nature? What it reveals is that passion, that intensity we have for ourself, pride in ourself. They weren't concerned about others. They weren't concerned about Jesus. They're thinking about themselves. Hey, who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? You see, they just saw his display of power. Now, Peter, James, and John were the three that Jesus chose to go up on that mountain and see his glory. So maybe they're part of this discussion. Maybe they're saying, you know what? Jesus likes us better than the others. He picked us. And we saw his glory. Yeah, we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Isn't it just typical for us to think about ourselves? Uh, maybe you did this morning. When you drove in the parking lot, you're looking for a spot. Can I get, where can I park that I'm closest to the gate so I don't have to walk too far? Not thinking, maybe I should leave some of those spots for others who need to be closer. Or maybe when you came in, you know, where's, where's my pew? Somebody is sitting in my pew? We too can be guilty, rather, of just thinking of ourselves and, and not thinking of others. And, and not just when we want something for ourselves, but sometimes we think about others also in the, or think about ourselves rather over others when we start comparing ourselves to others, right? And that's what the disciples were doing too. 
hey, we heard somebody else was casting demons out. We were stopping him because he's not one of us. You know, he doesn't have the, the logo on his shirt that he's one of Jesus' disciples. Sometimes we become critical of others when they're not like us. Or they're not doing it our way. Or maybe it's working against what, what we're doing. And that's where that pride gets in the way too. Jesus tells us that sometimes we like to get that speck out of somebody else's eye when we've got a big plank in our own. When we should be dealing with our own faults and not worried about somebody else's. So Jesus then demonstrates for them what greatness really is. He takes a little child like we had here today. He brings up a little child and he says, whoever welcomes that little child, that's being great in the kingdom because you're welcoming me through that child. And so he's reminding us that serving others, putting others above self is what's important. But it's clear from this life, from this heart, that we've got that, that sin of, of pride going on. And that sometimes is also leading to the sin where then we reject others or even reject God. So now Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria. So a little geography lesson here. So that area we call Israel is really divided up into three sections. In the north, there's that region called Galilee. And in the south, there's that region called Judea. And in the middle is a region called Samaria. Now, Samaria, for several centuries now, has been a mixture of people. It wasn't just, we might say, pure Jews. But back in the time when Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians, the Assyrians imported other people, other cultures in that area, so they were no longer pure Jews. And the Jews didn't like that, the ones in the north and the ones in the south. And so they didn't want to mix with the Samaritans at all. In fact, sometimes if they were going from north to south or south to north, they'd go all the way around so they could avoid going through there. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus would go through Samaria because he came for all people. And this time as he's going through Samaria, the people catch on, however, that he isn't intending to stay here. Oh yeah, see, we're nothing to him. He's just moving on to Jerusalem. And so because of that, they wouldn't let Jesus and his disciples stay in the town. Their pride of, it has to be my way, got in the way of accepting Jesus. Have you ever been mad at God? Mad because things didn't go the way you wanted them to go or the way you thought they were going to go? And so you get ticked at God, right? Forget God. Why should I go to church? I'll show him. Oh, yeah, God's really going to be bothered, right, and upset and change all of his plans because you didn't come to church. I don't think so. We end up hurting ourselves then. Or maybe like the disciples, we end up rejecting others because, well, they're not like us. And that just reveals what we also do with our words. 
we have such passion for what we do that we reflect it in our words, where they're not like us. Or he's not treating us the way things should go, so we want nothing to do with him or her. Sometimes our, our self-righteous indignation over things gets in the way with how we treat people then. Whether it be involved with politics or parking lot politics or, you know, traffic, whatever it is, if somebody gets in our way, we get upset. And we have all sorts of words then. Well, that's not how Jesus would handle it. Somebody rejected him. If, if somebody was upset with him, Jesus sought them out to correct them, to teach them, to bring them to him. He didn't want our passion to keep us from him. Do you have passion? Are you passionate about things? We all are. Maybe it's a particular sports team or some time, kind of uh, activity that we like to do or whatever it might be. We, we become passionate about things, don't we? But does that passion sometimes lead us to sin? Where we're not being considerate of others? Where we become self-centered? Where we're, we're looking for this to kind of promote ourselves, even to the extent of promoting ourselves over doing the will of God? Our passion can really get in the way of our walk with God. In fact, Jesus reminds us just how deep that passion goes. He once said, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, that is, come from their passion. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. And then sometimes we try to cover it over with our, our, our righteousness, with our passion for God, and find that yet what we're doing is still getting in the way of God's will. We can, we can be passionate about something, but we let it get in our way of, of serving others, of, of bringing the gospel to others, because we don't want that to get in our way of doing things. Well, what all of this talk about passion is pointing out is our heart isn't beating right. Our heart isn't clean. But there is a cure for that. Something that will clean our heart. It's at the cross. Let's stop at this point in the message and just reflect on that as we sing the song Lead me to the cross. Redemption's hell, where is
there at the cross where we find that cure for our failing, unclean heart. Now as cross scene investigators, let's take a look at what's going on on that road to Jerusalem. We heard about the passion that was there in the people, that sinful passion, but let's talk about the passion 
of God. It's there in this statement, first of all. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. It was a reference to God's passion. Now, when we talk about passion, we often think of, again, that motivation, that excitement, that that love we have for something. But the word passion actually comes from a word in the Greek language that refers to suffering. And that was God's passion, to suffer for us. It was all part of his will, his plan. And Jesus knew what that plan was. In fact, Jesus was part of the one, was one of the people who helped plan that. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. God's plan was not a secret. It had been there revealed in the scriptures from the very start. Once human beings fell into sin, God said there would be a savior and he would come and his heel would be bruised, which meant he would be injured. After that, God pictured for his people the suffering that had to occur because of sin. In their Old Testament worship, it revolved around sacrifices, the shedding of blood, which was the penalty for sin, death. All those sacrifices that the people made were to remind them that there would be a sacrifice made for them. A substitute would give up his life to pay for their sins. In fact, that would be so clearly pictured in that holy festival that was just coming up that Jesus was was going to celebrate with his disciples, Passover. Passover started centuries before when God was going to rescue his people from their slavery in Egypt. He did it by sending the angel of death over Egypt to strike down the firstborn, but to save the firstborn of Israel through the blood of a lamb that had been sacrificed and put over their house. While the Passover became a festival for the the Jews to kind of celebrate their pride of, of nation, kind of like we do with the 4th of July, it was first meant to point the people ahead to a sacrifice that would be made by a perfect lamb, a human, God himself, who would give up his life, who would shed his blood to rescue them from the slavery and to sin and to keep us all from death and hell. Jesus knew that plan. And that's why he's going to Jerusalem. What amazes me is as we study the scriptures, we, we see how God's people in particular were so unfaithful to God, so rebellious, had turned away from him so many times, but never, not once did God ever take back his promise or change his plan on how to save them, how to forgive them. The plan was set in eternity past and would be carried out. A savior would come and give up his life to give life to the world. Jesus knew that plan. And that's why in this next phrase we see evidence of the cross. It says, Jesus 
resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, the original Greek of the, the Bible for that word resolutely actually says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. That is, Jesus kept his eyes on the cross. It was really reflective of an Old Testament Hebrew phrase that meant he set his face like flint, flint being a rock. It means he was set stone cold solid in his commitment to go to the cross. Now he knew the suffering and the agony that he would have to endure. But there was no fear in him. The scriptures tell us that perfect love drives out fear. And Jesus had that perfect love Perfect love for us. Despite our sin, despite our rebellion, he wasn't going to change or turn back. A perfect love that would accomplish the plan, the goal that God had set. A savior would come and take our place. So he is resolutely set to go to the cross. In fact, three times in the original language, it tells us Jesus was facing that. He did not change. He did not look away. Even though there would be shame involved, where he would be mocked and ridiculed and rejected and put to death like a criminal, it didn't stop him because of the joy that would be there to save us from our sins. Now, Jesus could have, and he would have had every right to speak words of condemnation to those Samaritans that rejected him. He had every right to rebuke and put down his disciples for the way they were talking about themselves and about others. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus showed his want to. He knew God's will, and he wanted to carry this out. Nothing was going to deter him. Nothing would turn him away. Even though he was rejected by that one Samaritan village, we're told he and his disciples simply went on to another village because he wanted to carry out this plan to save. As cross scene investigators, do you see the cross in this little event? It's there in Jesus' eyes. It's there in his heart. He would go to die for all those people, to die for you, to die for this world. That's the passion of God. Do you see that compassion? God has compassion for us, He sees our struggles. He knows our pain. He knows the suffering. He knows our sin. And he took that all upon himself. He suffered with us. That's his compassion. In order to free us from all of that. And to bless us here and forever. That's the passion of God. What do you do with that passion? Let that passion be in your heart.
Believe it. Trust it. This is your God and your salvation. And then be eager to serve him. Like welcoming that little child. Be ready to share that message with others. That may mean a sacrifice on your part. Of time or, or using your talents or, or giving of your treasure. To serve, to bring people to Jesus. In our high school Bible class during the week, we're studying the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. And in chapter 2 of that letter, he was commenting on two of his fellow co-workers who were just doing a great job for him. And he commented how one of them was working so hard that he became very sick and almost died. But, but God recovered him. And he was ready to go again with the strength of Christ to serve others. And, and what it simply was showing was his passion, reflecting the sacrifice of God to give for the sake of others. That's having passion. May an act of passion be seen in our life too, having a heart that knows and follows after Christ. Let the cross be in your eyes and in your heart, like it was in Jesus. Amen.